And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We'll look at verses 42 through 47. Now, if we follow a timeline of the record of the Gospels as to what was happening on this day that we are commemorating today, this day that we call Good Friday, we would note several things. We know Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. We know he made three of his seven statements from the cross between 9 a.m. and noon. We know that the final four statements were made under a period of deep darkness that lasted for three hours from noon until 3 p.m. when Jesus would make his final statement from the cross. And it would arrive on the day schedule at a time known by the Jews as the early evening or from 3 to 6 p.m. And at 3 p.m., Jesus made this statement. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last, according to Luke 23:46. So here it is on or at 3 p.m. on the preparation day before a high holy day or the Passover Sabbath. And at the very moment the Passover lambs were to be slain and had been slain for some 1,500 years, in commemoration of the 10th plague on Pharaoh and the Egyptians for refusing to let God's people go and worship him and to commemorate the fact that the death angel passed over every house that had applied the blood of the Passover lamb to the doorpost and lintels of their home. At that very hour, Jesus released his body to death. And it was the very moment that he was destined to. It wasn't a moment sooner, nor was it a moment later than that which was ordained. Matthew tells us in 27, 62 to 66, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the day we are commemorating now, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver, speaking of Jesus, said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, The reason that's important is because it tells us sealing the tomb on Saturday proves that Jesus was still in it. He didn't just faint, as some would propose, and the coolness of the tomb awakened him. He was dead, and he was dead on Friday evening. He was dead on Saturday, the day after the preparation day. Posting a guard until the third day also proved that Jesus was actually resurrected and there was not any grave robbing as the Jews proposed. Yet, there are many today who make the same kind of accusations or similar accusations against Jesus and his followers. That his death was just a put on. There wasn't a supernatural event of any kind. The whole incident, some would argue, is nothing more than a myth perpetrated by weak-minded people who need to believe in that sort of thing. Well, tonight we're going to prove, or we're going to meet a man, rather, that proves the critics wrong. And the proof we will offer tonight 
at least in part, is that after Jesus was dead, prophecies concerning him kept being fulfilled, beginning with the manner and place of his burial. Isaiah 53 verse 9 prophesied that regarding the Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus was killed among the wicked. He was crucified between two thieves. He died on the cross between two thieves. He was then buried in the tomb of a rich man after having been falsely accused, unjustly convicted, and criminally executed, just as Isaiah foretold what happened to him. Listen tonight, the death and resurrection of Jesus is no myth. It is a historical fact. It is a spiritual truth proven by being spoken in advance and then fulfilled exactly as foretold. The Gospels are not efforts to manipulate the facts. The leading Jews saw to that by having the tomb sealed and posting Roman soldiers to guard it. Now, our text tonight doesn't get the attention it deserves, I believe, because the fact is it is bookended by the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. However, tonight, we want to give this particular passage its full due as we meet the man who lent Jesus his family's tomb. I'll remind you that it's been said that Jesus was laid in a borrowed tomb because he was only going to need it for the weekend. And we're going to talk this Sunday morning that early in the morning on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive today. I can't hear you, but somebody say amen out there. Well, I can hear Mike who works for security here in the front row. I can hear his amen, but I'm hearing you in my heart from home. Now, this leads to our title tonight, which is timely for us. Because we're in kind of a lockdown period. Well, not kind of a lockdown period. We are in a lockdown period. But let me remind you, the time is 3 p.m. The date is April 6th. The year is 32 A.D. And at that point in time, on that date and in that year, Jesus was dead. But here's our title for our Good Friday time. He was dead, but not for long. It has been often rightfully repeated by many in days uh, recently that this too shall pass, and it will pass. The season we are in is going to pass. We are hearing statements today like things will never be the same. Well, in looking back at what happened with Jesus, that was true. After his death and resurrection, things were never the same. We began to divide time differently into uh, the previous period before Christ and then Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a monumental event that began a three-day process that changed everything. We're often hearing or read the phrase today, this is the new normal. And I want you to recognize tonight because of Jesus' mock trial, because of his illegal execution, Because of his death and resurrection and ascension, new normals are happening for people every single day since that day. People are turning from darkness to light. People are going from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. People whose eternal destiny was once outer darkness and weeping of gnashing of teeth now have the expectation of fullness and joy and pleasures forevermore as their new normal because of Jesus. Now, may I remind us all, That we are here on this earth in dark and perilous times, 
But it's not for long. Jesus is coming soon. So would you read along with me, please, from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 42 through 47, as we're introduced to a very interesting but seldom focused upon biblical character. Now, when evening had come, verse 42, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. I think it's important that we fill in the gaps, so to speak, and the rest of the picture that can be painted of Joseph of Arimathea with the help of Matthew and John's gospel records. Matthew says in 2757, when evening had come, there came, remember evening being between 3 and 6 p.m., when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man, though a member of the council, had been born again, had indeed become a follower of Christ. In John 19, 38 to 42, we're given these specifics. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. Now listen close. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Now, Luke tells us that Joseph was a rich man who had offered his, his family's sepulcher for the burial of Jesus, thus fulfilling Isaiah 53, 9. John tells us there was another prominent Jew who was also described by Jesus himself as the teacher of Israel who joined Joseph in preparing Jesus' body for burial and placing it in the tomb. This task had to be completed in less than three hours. Jesus died at 3 p.m. The high holy Sabbath of the Passover Sabbath began at 6 p.m. This man, Nicodemus, as I said, called the teacher of Israel by Jesus, came to Jesus by night, and Jesus told him, are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't know you need to be born Again, And thus we all recognize our need to be born of the Spirit and that no one is saved by their first birth. You must be born again. That's where you shout amen at home again. Now, there's something of great significance for us to note here. And one more scripture will help get us there. In Matthew 27, 54, we're told, When the centurion and those with him 
who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, of the two Jews in our story, one secretly followed Jesus. The other inquired of Jesus under the cover of night. But as soon as Jesus died, everything changed. The Roman centurion and those with him made a profession of faith. Joseph and Nicodemus went public with their faith in Christ, even to the point of touching a dead body and becoming ceremonially unclean right before the Passover Sabbath. So let me give you some encouragement to hang on to on this most sacred Eve, when we cannot meet, when we're told to stay in our homes. Many have been told you cannot go to work. Listen, here's something for us to consider tonight. Remember this Good Friday Eve. Listen, there will be challenging times when following Jesus, but not for long. There will be challenging times when following Jesus, but not for long. Now, here's why we can say that. Listen close. Following Jesus leads to being with Jesus. And we're going to be with Jesus forever. That's why the Bible tells us that this life is but a vapor. It's a moment in time. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But our eternity is long. It's even forever. And when we follow Jesus, we're going to someday be with Jesus and forever be with the Lord. That's why Jesus said to his disciples upon the announcement at the Last Supper that he was going to die and one of them was going to betray him. And he said to them in John 14, 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. That actually can be translated as stop letting your heart be troubled. And then he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, you believe in the Father, and he will in a few verses say, I and the Father are one. Believe in me the same way in things you believe about the Father. Then he adds this, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That word could be translated, receive could be translated as take up. I will take you up to myself that where I am, there you may also be or be also. Listen, it's three o'clock on the preparation day. Jesus is dead, but not for long. And listen, our faith journey or our walk with the Lord might be hard right now, but remember, it's not for long. Someday we're going to be with him. And Jesus' death secured our everlasting life, and new followers were born the moment that Jesus died, and their number is being added to even yet today. And the big question is this, are you among them? Are you among those who can call themselves a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ? Maybe you've been like Joseph and been a secret follower. Or maybe you've been like Nicodemus and recognize there's something different about Jesus that makes him distinct from religious groups and rituals. Listen, now is the time to be bold. Now is the time for us to speak up. Now is the time for us to go public with our faith because that's exactly what happened on the preparation day when Jesus died to the centurion and those with him and Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea who were council members and a teacher of Israel. The fact is, it is possible to have a new normal from this day forward. And may I encourage you, it is a far better normal than anything we settled for without Jesus. In John 16, man, I miss you guys being in the room. 
this is such a wonderful evening to remember, an evening that changed the world. That's why they call this day where we recognize this horrific event Good Friday, because good things came from it. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Listen, I want you to think about what we've read so far. Jesus, or Jesus, Joseph and Nicodemus did not have the boldness to follow Jesus when he was alive. But his death changed everything. And his death, resurrection, and ascension is still changing people today. These two men recognized that their fellow Jews were going to turn on them. They recognized that like what happened with other Jews, they were going to ostracize them, possibly even kill them. And following Jesus after his death was going to be hard on them, but they didn't let that stop them because some or all of these things might happen to them, even though they knew they could. But if they did, it would not be for long. And the next thing I want to draw our attention to is that Pilate marveled that Jesus was already dead and asked for confirmation. John adds this in 1931 to 34. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. I think it's been well said that what killed Jesus actually was a broken heart. How he wept over Jerusalem, how he wept over the people that he was born through that he came to save even as the Savior of the whole world. He came to save Jews, and he came to save Gentiles, and he's saving Jews and Gentiles yet today. Somebody at home shout hallelujah, say amen, or something. Now, crucifixion was purposely brutal. It was a violent manner of execution, even as we have studied on a limited basis what has happened to Jesus. Some victims would hang alive on the cross for two to three days. And after they would die, their bodies would often be left on the cross for scavenger birds to pick at. And all of this meant to be a deterrent to violating Roman law. But the next day was a Sabbath. It wasn't just any Sabbath. It was a high Sabbath. It was the Passover Sabbath. And therefore, the bodies of the crucified men needed to be down from their crosses before 6 p.m. when the Sabbath actually began. So shortly after 3 p.m., On Pilate's orders at the request of the Jews, they came to break the legs of the three men in order to eliminate their ability to use their legs to push themselves up and open up their air passages in order to breathe. And thus, because that would be removed through the breaking of the legs, they would actually die rather quickly from suffocation. Some would hang on a cross for days alive, and then they would hang there for days dead. They did nail Jesus to a cross, but not for long. He was dead in six hours. Piercing the sack around the heart and the blood and water that flowed out of it proved that he was dead, and thus they did not break his legs. Why did this happen? Why was it necessary for this to happen? In Psalm 34, 19 to 20, the psalmist King David says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen, someday he's going to come and get us. He promised it. He promised that he'd gone to prepare a place for us. And he said, if it wasn't so, I would have told you, but I'm telling you now, I'm gone to my father's house and I'm coming back to get you. The Lord is going to deliver us from all the things we're encountering now or in the future. Somebody shout, amen. Now listen to what David said in Psalm 34. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Listen, the scripture required that the Messiah would be killed. The scripture required that the Messiah would be buried with the rich. The scripture required that the Messiah would not have any broken bones. And Joseph took care of the buried with the rich part. Jesus made sure the no broken bones uh, part by timing his death to coincide with the annual slaughter of the Passover lamb. Now, this is a second prophecy that was fulfilled concerning Jesus after he was dead. And the accusation that Jesus was orchestrating the events of his life and was a manipulative, uh, manipulative deceiver was pretty much done away with as prophecies continued to be filled, fulfilled about him after he had died. But here's the thing. I want you to consider this tonight. Do you think people understood beforehand what it meant when Isaiah said, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death? Do you think everyone was clear on the meaning of the Messianic passage in David's words concerning his own life in Psalm 34 when he said he guards all his bones, not one of them was broken? I'm sure at the time of the reading and writing, no one fully understood them, but they make sense now. We can look back now and see exactly what was happening, exactly what those verses meant, exactly what they were all about. And listen, in the midst of all we are encountering in this shutdown and lockdown period, Looking back to Jesus and all he endured for our sake in this brutal and deadly scene, we need to remember what it is that makes this Friday good. And here's one of the things we can highlight and point out. Listen, here's the second thing I'd like you to consider this Good Friday Eve. Listen, there are things that God allows that don't make sense, but not for long. There are things that God allows that don't make sense, but not for long. This whole thing we're going through right now. There are people and Bible critics and those who deny God who said, well, if there is a God, why did he let this happen? People are dying. Why didn't he stop it? It doesn't seem to make any sense that the elderly are victims of this at a far greater percentage than any other particular group. The sick are getting sicker from this and the arguments go on and on. But I want you to consider this here tonight. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus gave sight to the blind. Jesus cleansed the lepers. Jesus made the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the mute speak. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He fed thousands with a sack lunch. He healed a man's withered hand. He stopped the bleeding of a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. He healed by touch. He healed by command. He answered questions before they were even asked. And for all this, he wound up on a cross. Murder. Because he said he and the father were one. Listen, someday everything is going to make sense. Even as Isaiah 53 and and Psalm 34 makes sense now. Hard times and difficulties will someday be done away with forever. And we may encounter them now, but not for long. And listen to what Isaiah 25, 8 and 9 says. He will swallow up death forever. Come on, shout from home, hallelujah. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. 
For the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Pilate may have marveled that Jesus was already dead. But we can now look back and see it makes perfect sense. He died because the practice was traditionally to break the legs in an occasion such as this in order to pull them down from the cross dead in a much quicker fashion. Jesus breathed his last when he did, so he would not have his legs broken as the other two men who hung beside him. He died at 3 p.m. on the day before the Passover Shabbat, so he could prove that he indeed is the spotless lamb who died to take away the sins of the world that the Passover lamb had been pointing pointing to every single year. But let's make this a bit more personal. According to Daniel 9.26, the Messiah would die, but not for himself. In other words, he would die for the sake of others. Revelation 21.4 endorses what we just read from Isaiah, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And listen, God allows hard things. He allows things that may not make sense to us, but not for long. And listen, the days of COVID-19 are numbered. The days of anything like it are numbered. The days of tragedies and traumas are numbered. They are finite. All that he allowed, we will someday look back on and be able to say, it hurt then, it was hard back then, but it's all over now. I am in the presence of the Lord. He is going to wipe away the tears of untimely deaths. He's going to wipe away the tears of sorrowful sicknesses. He's going to wipe away the tears and the pains that are both physical and emotional in their nature. Someday, we're going to look back and say, even as we look back on Isaiah 53 and Psalm 34, He let some hard stuff come my way, but compared to how long I'm going to live in an environment that is free from death, free from sorrow, free from pain, it wasn't for long. And that day will begin when we arrive in heaven. And the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is proof of his claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And things for some didn't make sense until Jesus was dead. And after he was dead, those questions were answered. And this is what makes his death so crucial for us to understand. It clears up any murkiness about life after death and what it will be like. Yes, 3 p.m., April 6, 32 A.D., Jesus was dead, but not for long. And the final thing for us to note is the tender and loving care that these men gave to Jesus' body. As Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped the body of Jesus in fine linen, coating his body with a gummy mixture of aloe and myrrh to slow the decay of the body and cover the stench of decomposition. It's important for us to understand that this wasn't simply an act of compassion. It was also an act of courage. And Luke's gospel gives us the pairing of these two elements, compassion and courage. We're told in Luke 23, 50 to 54 about this man named Joseph, a council member a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. 
He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. As we read earlier, this man went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. I have to say, this courageous, I don't care what other people think kind of attitude that Joseph of Arimathea had, we need to have today. We need to have his boldness, the very counsel that he was a part of. He did not consent to their decision. He stood against what they were wanting to do with Jesus. And listen, I will say tonight, I side with Joseph. I don't consent with the treatment of Jesus by many today. And the word consent means to support or agree with. And Joseph was a secret disciple, but not for long. He did not go along with the flow. He was against what was done with Jesus, and I feel the same way. I am against how Jesus is viewed and treated by many today. I am against the disrespect for his name and him being equated to mythical beings and made-up religions and their founders. And this leads to the last thing we need to remember in such a time as this. A time where world events are descending into what is necessary for the Antichrist to rise to power. For the global governmental system that he's going to head to be in place. And all the other things we have seen escalate substantially or even exponentially with stunning speed in these last 30 to 40 days. Here's something I want you to remember tonight. Even as we remember the stand of Joseph of Arimathea. He did not consent with the decision of those with whom he had long been apart. Listen, here's what we need to remember. Man is free to disrespect and disregard God's word, but not for long. Man is free to disrespect and disregard God's word, but not for long. Jesus went to the cross, but not for long. His body was laid in the tomb, but not for long. He's gone to prepare a place for us, but not for long. You may be thinking, wait a minute. He lost me on the last one. It's been almost 2,000 years since he ascended into heaven, which is true. But listen, compared to the billions of years we're going to be with him, when he comes back, he's not been gone for long by comparison. Now, he's coming back, and I believe it won't be long now. But he's not coming back to allow his enemies to mock, beat, and kill him. He came once as the lamb, but he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we see this description in Revelation 19, 11 to 16, where John the Beloved says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. In other words, he was the king of kings. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I'll ask you at home, who is called the Word of God in Scripture? None other than Jesus Christ, who was with God and is God. Then we're told, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, obviously the Word of God, that it, with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, 
Tonight we remember and we revere the body of Christ with great compassion, even as Joseph and Nicodemus did. Even as we do not consent to the treatment that his name receives today, we have to keep in mind that the father consented to the death of his son. You know, there are those today who very foolishly accuse the Jews of killing Jesus. There are others who say, well, it's actually the Romans that killed him. But if you are a student of scripture, you know there's one truth that overrides them all, and that is that the father sent his son into the world to die for you and me. It was the father who knowingly sent his son into the world, knowing that his son would face death. The Old Testament prophesied it as we gave the example in uh, Daniel 9:26. The Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself, cut off being a Hebraism for death. This is why Jesus came. He came to die, but he's coming back again to rule. And tonight we remember that the fall of Jesus requires compassion and it requires courage. And our time of communion tonight may be a bit unconventional in method, but it is no less magnificent. The elements still represent what they represent when we're collectively here. And whether you're using grape juice or water, whether you're eating matzo bread or uh, French bread, it doesn't matter. These saints are representative of what Christ has done for our behalf on this day we commemorate today. We come to the table which reminds us of the cross and the tomb. And by receiving these elements, we are saying, we saw compassion and courage in you, Jesus, as you endured the shame and the suffering that set us free. So we thank you tonight. We worship you and we praise you. We're here tonight to say to Jesus, sometimes it's hard to follow you, but you're worth it. Following you is worth it. And all the things we endure for the time being are not for long. We come tonight to remember that while Jesus might allow things that don't make sense and we don't understand in comparison to how long we're going to be with him in a perfect heaven, those things as well are not for long. And we're here tonight to acknowledge that God allowed things to be said and done against his name, against his son and his people. Yet we again remember it's not for long and this too will pass. And there are things we need to commemorate no matter where we are whether we are in his house or the place we call the church, or whether you're in your house, we need to remember that the body and blood of Jesus changes everything. Let's come to the table with the compassion that is appropriate for the night, recognizing how brutally Jesus was treated and beaten. That by his stripes, they were for our healing. And he was despised and rejected by men, the very ones he came to save. At his death, He was crucified between two criminals, even though he himself had never done anything wrong. Hebrews says that our Savior, our high priest, never committed one single sin, even though he was tempted just as we are. The fact is, Joseph and Nicodemus showed how we are to come reverently and treat with great respect the body of Jesus Christ in his crucified state. They were moved by his death. And all that his body endured so we could live forever. In Revelation 12, 10 and 11, John said he heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused him before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb 
and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Tonight we come to the table as overcomers. For through the cross, we have overcome the enemy's accusations against us. Listen, Jesus died at three o'clock one afternoon, almost 2,000 years ago, and he was dead. The piercing of his side proved it, but not for long. But let's remember, that's why they call this horrid day Good Friday, because it is Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Jesus will be up from the grave early in the morning on the first day of the week. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And would you at home uh, bow your heads in prayer, and then I'll explain what we're going to do from here. And Father, we are grateful for the gift of your Son, and we thank you, Lord, that that most famous of verses reminds us that you sent your Son into the world for the purpose of dying for our sins. For you so loved the world that you gave. You gave to the cross, you gave to death, you gave to the tomb, you gave to the whip, you gave to the blindside punching, you gave to the beard being ripped out of his face, you gave to him being uh, beaten to the point where he was barely recognizable as a man. You gave him to these things. He endured them all for the joy that was set before him, which was the saving of lost souls. And so, Lord, we come tonight carefully, and with compassion, even as Nicodemus and Joseph so lovingly wrapped your body and prepared it for the tomb. But Lord, we at this point in time can look back and see that what they were doing would all be for naught, for you were coming up early in the morning on the first day of the week and rising again from the dead. We thank you, Lord, that we have so much information to tell us that you are who the Bible says you are. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are coming again as you have gone to prepare a place for us. And for that, we thank you. And we thank you, Lord, that the means by which our eternity with you was secured was your broken body and shed blood. We pray tonight that we will remember these things with compassion and that we will rise from our circumstance, whatever it may be, that we share in these elements tonight with boldness and courage, even as we saw your death change Nicodemus and change Joseph of Arimathea, and even change the heart of the Roman centurion assigned to guard you while you died on the cross. May our time tonight be a time of change for us as well, a time of renewed boldness and vigor for your name and your word. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Now, what we're going to do now is you at home are preparing whatever it is that you are going to use for this time of communion. We're going to have, as we just can't skip the band playing at a communion time, and preparing our hearts and minds and spirits to receive these elements. So I encourage you, uh, as quickly as you can at home, uh, prepare the elements for yourself and your family, whatever that family model may be for you. And at the end of this song, we'll begin our time of communion. So let's uh, prepare and prepare uh, not just the elements, let's prepare our hearts and minds.
blood of Jesus What can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus No precious peace that flow That makes me white as snow No other found I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus place at the Last Supper, he made a statement that we need to be careful to note, and that is be cautious about taking the elements in an unworthy manner. And he had spoken to the Corinthians about coming to what they called a love feast, and some coming in drunk and others coming in and eating all the food before the day laborers could arrive who were really in need of a good and warm meal. And he was saying, you shouldn't be having these activities and doing these things and then acting like everything's okay with the Lord. And he warned them and said, those who do this are drinking condemnation unto themselves. And, and listen, this isn't something to be looked at or treated flippantly. 
Remember the compassion and the courage of the body uh, and how the body of Jesus was treated by Joseph and Nicodemus. And tonight we recognize that the Son of God came into the world to die for your sins and for mine. And while it is popular today to say we are all God's children, that is not biblical. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. And if you must become the sons and daughters of God, that implies that you're not apart from Jesus. You have to receive Jesus. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a man well-versed in scripture, a man who was described by Jesus himself as the teacher of Israel, he said, you missed the whole message of the book that you so uh, proudly revere and claim to know the meaning of every word on every page. He said, you, a teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel, you don't know you have to be born again. And that's true for all of us here tonight. And I don't want anyone to come to this table and treat it flippantly. This is not just some wafer or piece of bread or some kind of juice that we just casually uh, eat and drink and go our way and act like his body and blood didn't mean anything to us. And that's the warning Paul gave. So I say to any of you out there who aren't ready to come to the communion table, who aren't treating the body of Christ with compassion, who aren't ready to live for him with courage, I say to you, you must be born again. And I, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Well, listen, we don't have to be in the same room. I don't have to see you raise your hand. You don't have to walk down on a field. You don't have to fill out a card, even though none of those things are wrong or bad. You don't have to do any of those things. Let me tell you a prayer that God will hear. And it's a shorty, so you can pray it right now before we partake of the elements. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please save me. And that's what he's wanting from us to recognize that apart from him, we are destined for an eternity in hell, a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But because of him, we can live forever in a place where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's what God is offering to you. And the means by which that was achieved are the two elements we look at and revere and respect tonight, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So listen, if you want to come to the table and understand its meaning and partake in worship of what Christ has done for you. Just say that prayer in your heart or in your mind right now. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please save me. And that's the point of recognition that he wants you to come to. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, meaning to agree with his definitions of sin, if we see or speak, that's what confess means, to see or speak is the same. If we agree with God's assessment that we are sinners, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And that's really a description of what it means to be born again, to confess your sins to God and say, I need a savior and I believe Christ is that savior and he will save you. He will not turn away anyone who comes to him and cries out to him for salvation. So in the quietness of your home and heart, just pray that to him right now if you need to before we partake of these elements. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please save me. And I pray that you, if you have done so, have done so in sincerity. Well, as we come to the table tonight, we recognize that Jesus had instructed his disciples to go to a place. And there were some signals that were exchanged in order to lead them to the place where they would share in the Passover meal. And Jesus orchestrated a typical Jewish Passover Seder dinner. The four cups that were traditional, the three pieces of matzo bread, the breaking of the middle piece, the hiding in the napkin, and all the other things we know 
that are pictures of Christ took place at that meal. We know the first cup that they would partake in was the cup of sanctification, recognizing God called his children out of Egypt. The second cup was the cup of judgment, noting that as God called his people out, he judged those who were holding them. And the cup that we're going to see Jesus make mention of tonight is the third cup of the four that are partaken of at the Seder dinner or the Passover meal, and it is the cup of redemption. And then finally, the fourth cup that is shared at the end of the time of celebration and Passover is the cup of acceptance. And listen, that's what Jesus is focusing on here with what we call communion that took place and was initiated at the Last Supper, that by redemption, we are accepted in the beloved. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 24, that I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. In other words, Jesus told me this. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, which we know took place in the upper room, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what we're doing tonight. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're remembering that he put himself or veiled himself in the likeness of sinful flesh so he could have the capacity for death and the brutal beating he endured, all the things we mentioned a moment ago, he did for you and he did for me. But we know through tradition that at the Passover meal, the host would lift the bread in the air and give thanks for it to the Father. And he would recite two things over the bread. The first that he would say in Hebrew was Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haloem Hamotze Lechem Min Haaretz, meaning, Blessed are you, Adonai our God, sovereign of all, who brings forth bread from the earth. Remember Jesus in John 6, in the great bread of life discourse, said that he indeed is the bread from heaven. The second reading at the time of the cup was the institution of the Passover itself. And some portion of it would be read, not all of it, but I'm going to read the institution of the Passover in its entirety because there's things for us to learn. In Exodus 12:15 to 20, the Lord said, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. That's what he just described. For on this same day, I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Now, this is paralleled by what Paul said about treating what God has instituted in an unworthy manner, minimizing it, treating it as though it is of no consequence. The matzah bread or the unleavened bread carries great meaning at the Passover meal. 
It's without leaven because there was no time to incorporate the leaven and let the bread rise when God called his children out of Egypt, the Hebrews, when they fled Egypt and plundered the Egyptians. So the bread is to be without yeast or leaven. Breaking one of the three pieces symbolizes the parting of the Red Sea. It also symbolically represents remembering the poor. One of the broken pieces, the middle piece that was broken, was hidden until the end of the meal and represented the Passover lamb. It was known as the afikoman, which means the sweetness that comes after. The Jews were to purify their homes during the Feast of Unleavened Bread by removing all leaven from anywhere in the house. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 to 8, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Malice and wickedness represent sin. The Bible uses leaven as a figurative example of what sin is. It impacts our life. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven symbolizes sin. Leaven symbolizes our old life and ways. And as you all are in your homes gathered this sacred eve, I encourage you to lift up the bread before God as a symbol of surrender to him, to bless his name and purify the heart of your home and thanks for the afikoman, the sweet salvation that came after Jesus' death as a Passover lamb. So I encourage you, take up your bread, lift it to heaven as we say the traditional blessing of the Passover and the Seder dinner, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haloem Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, sovereign of all, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Lord, we thank you for your willingness to come, inhabit a human body, knowing that it would be brutalized, knowing that you would have your hands and feet pierced, knowing of the length of the thorns on the crown pressed down on your head, knowing the mockery that you would encounter, knowing the stripes that would be laid on your back, knowing the nails in your hands and feet and the pierced side that would prove that you indeed were dead and your legs not being broken or the need for that. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you, Lord, as I hold this pizza matzah in my hand and recognize it's bruised and it's pierced and it's without leaven, just as you are. Bruised for our iniquities, yet without sin, no rightful accusation made against you. So, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you tonight. And with compassion, the compassion of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we want to recognize your body broken for us. And as you said, we do take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do now this in remembrance of me. We can partake together. Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five to 26, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Till he comes. What a wonderful reminder. Jesus is coming again. 
and we're reminded even through the elements and at the communion table. Well, after the Passover meal, a cup was raised in thanks. The third cup after the meal, as I mentioned, was a cup of redemption. And at the traditional Seder dinner table, an extra cup was set, as was a seat for Elijah. And families had various traditions. Some would simply fill up the cup that was set there for Elijah. Others would have each family member pour a little bit of their wine into the cup that was reserved at the space for Elijah. Now, this is significant because Malachi 4, 5, and 6 tells us, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And this indeed pictures the redemption of Israel. The third cup of the meal was a reminder that God would redeem his people and deliver them from his wrath. And the host would lift up his cup as he did the bread. And he would say this blessing over those present. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu pro hagafen. Or blessed are you, Adonai our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. So I encourage you tonight to raise your cup to the Lord and thank him for the redemption of our souls and the coming deliverance from his wrath when he redeems our corruptible bodies. And gives us immortal, incorruptible, and glorious new ones. For as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is coming again soon. So lift your cup before the Lord and bow your head as we say to him, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malech Haloam Bore Pre Hagafen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. We thank you, Lord, that this cup represents so much. Obviously, your blood poured out for our sins. The reminder that your word said in Leviticus 17:11, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we thank you that you came willingly and shed your blood for us. Your word tells us, Lord, In the same passage, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So this represents through your death, we have life. And for that, we are grateful. And Lord, while our circumstances might be bizarre, our eternal security is unchanged. And we thank you, Lord, that at this time where things are different and strange and new normals are being talked about, we thank you that we have something that this world cannot offer that awaits us. Eternal life with you in your presence forever. And we thank you for the promise that you're coming again. The Lord, as we recognize what you did for us and the cost to redeem us by your own blood, we thank you, Lord, and proclaim your death proves your return as well. So we give you thanks for this cup. We honor you, we bless you, and we partake together now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. At the end of the Passover meal, two hallels or praise psalms would be either recited or sung by someone in the family. I want to encourage you, before you break up and go back to watching TV or cleaning or 
whatever it is you were doing in this shutdown, I want to encourage you to read two of the Psalms that are often read at a Passover Seder meal. And the first would be Psalm 118. Make sure you read that tonight and also read Psalm 92, two Psalms of praise. And after the end of the reading of these two Psalms or these two Hallels, the host would speak over those who were gathered together and he would say this in Hebrew. Lashana haba be'rayushalayim. Next year in Jerusalem. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. May the next time we drink of the cup be with Jesus in his Father's kingdom. Somebody say, Amen. And Father, we are grateful for all that this day represents. Thank you for redeeming us that we might become accepted in the beloved. Thank you for calling us out of our former life, symbolically represented by Egypt as the world and the Jews as your chosen people. And we thank you that we too are your chosen people. They by birth, we by faith. And we thank you that Jew and Gentile alike must be and can be born again. And as many as has received you, You gave them the right to be called sons and daughters of God. We thank you for this high honor and great privilege. But we recognize tonight the means through which we were purchased, bought back, redeemed from our sinful past was the body and blood of Jesus. So tonight we say thank you. We sing hallelujah. We bless your holy name. And Lord, as the Seder dinners are closed, we say may next year be with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We praise you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.